Welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm your guest, Christian Hoffer. <laughs> we want to thank you so much for joining us today, Christian. Not a problem. Happy to be here. We're excited to have you. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Uh, we hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither is our D&D games. <laughs> is that the truth? No, no, no. So we got a really exciting show for you guys today. Obviously, we have a wonderful special guest, Christian Hoffer. Thank you so much uh, from comicbook.com. Our main topic today is we're going to be actually interviewing you, discussing your article series called The Anatomy of a D&D Cam- uh, Campaign. Uh, I'm really excited about that specifically because uh, I was reading the one that talks about you might running an evil campaign. So I'll be picking your brain a little bit about that. Um, (laughs) And of course, we have our Unearthed uh, Tips and Tricks segment where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Um, We like to start off every show on a high note. And and really, we do that by giving away um, fat loot every single week don't we oh yeah uh we got some good stuff for you guys um so we want to thank you for joining us here at crit academy studios where everything's made up and your roles don't matter yep that's right your roles are like um ah you didn't fill it out i didn't fill that out yeah like no you evil... did i was trying to come up with something on the fly but oh, that would have been uh awesome. yeah i'm trying uh uh your 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 roles are like stealth checking in a open field with no trees <laughs> bushes rocks any sort of just a plain flat surface and you're the rogue who wants to stealth <laughs> that's pretty good um i so if everyone's wondering why i'm so discombobulated i just want to touch really quick the power has been out for since yesterday night and everything lost all its settings all the i had i've been rushing to get everything working since uh the show started um it's true. so and i ran into a few hiccups so i appreciate uh christian uh, working with us on that and the roads are crap too. yeah they're pretty bad so i don't want to spend too much time on that but i do apologize like i said like just a few hours ago they got back on so it's kind of got me all jumbled that being said uh, we like to start off every show by giving away fat loots. Today, we're giving away a uh, modular dungeon set uh, tiles from, uh, called Arcania from Loresmith. It's an easy way to create your own beautiful digital maps or maybe even, you know, print them off and put them over some cardboard or cardstock or something. Um, making a very dark, shadowy dungeon rich uh, with your fumes of arcane secrets. Um, I really love this thing. If you haven't checked out Laura Smith's new digital content, you need to. The guy's amazing when it comes to developing the squares. Christian, who is our winner today? Uh, Towel Lover 55. If you didn't win, though, no problem, because you can head on over to CritAcademy.com slash Loresmith and get a free set of digital tools, one shots and several other things that Loresmith just gives away. So please check that stuff out. Lots of fat loots there. So you're never a loser here on Crit Academy unless you don't show up. Brandon, he'll be back. There's another guess. He's just he'll be back in February, he says. So I I believe him. (laughs) 
we'll see. So um, I'm really excited uh, to talk about it and move on to our Let's Talk About Blank segment. I actually had a different one here, but something came up in my feed today and I just had to change it. Amazon leaks new D&D book. Now, this, I swear to you guys, this is a total coincidence when I looked at who wrote the article. Christian, would you like to tell us about your this this amazing discovery for everyone who's excited for this news? Yes. Yeah, so the next uh, book will be a new campaign setting book uh, set in the world of Critical Role. It's called a uh, an Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, uh, which is the setting of the uh, current Critical Role campaign, uh, which uh, is the Mighty Nine. For those of you who sort of follow the show but not too closely. So this officially canonizes uh, Critical Role as part of the D&D multiverse, which technically already happened yeah. uh, last fall. But, you know, uh, this this really super makes it official, guys. But yeah, uh, big, big news. No one, no one saw this one coming at all. Right. Yeah. I know I saw a few grog guys reacting going, we want Greyhawk and Dark Sun. <laughs> a lot of ra- <laughs> a lot of rage nerds going on. I'll be honest, that ever. I'll admit, though, the I don't really watch Critical Role just because when I first heard about it, they were already well, well, well into their campaign. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I heard this is good. Flip it up. Saw how many episodes there were, how long each were. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Swipe left. <laughs> but that said, though, even I have to admit that Matt Mercer puts out some pretty good material. And um, my thing is the book will also include some of his some of the archetypes that he creates. So I'm, I'm curious, which ones he made a few? And I feel like this would help legitimize, if you will, some home campaigns where only official was the content stuff. It's like, well, now it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, we know that we'll probably get the school of Dunamancy because that was specifically brought up. So that's a wizard subclass, which involves like reality manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, you know, it's a little bit of, a little bit of like timey wimey stuff, a uh, little bit of, you know, tugging the threads of fate per se. So that specifically got brought up in the Amazon uh, book. Um, we probably won't get the Cobalt Soul uh, Monk class, mainly because that's the uh, subclass that Marisha Ray's character uh, is. And that's because it was actually already appeared in another book published by Green Ronin, which was the Taldore campaign setting. So that probably won't come up. Um I, I'm that. Trying to th- I didn't know so, that either. Was the gunslinger yeah. in that other one too? Um, so well, there's the Blood Hunter, uh, which might come up. That's um I honestly don't know because like, you know, I don't think they're gonna make a brand new class, and the Blood Hunter doesn't really neatly fit into like it, it's the clo- it would be closest to a ranger, I guess. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if we'll get that. But yeah, we're definitely going to get some new subclasses. So I'm really excited to see what they've come up with. Um, Matt, you know, comes up with these fantastic ideas. Um, And, you know, like any homebrew, you know, sort of thing, it always needs more tweaking and more playtesting. And by working with Wizards of the Coast, you know, he, he really, you know, gets a lot of eyes on that, you know, like professional level game designers that can, I'm sure he's thrilled about it. Right, you know, I'm, right, I'm sure right. no one's happier about this book <laughs> than he is. 
I'm sure. kind of hoping for the Blood Hunter just because of the, how much uh, traction the Witcher franchise has been getting lately, and there's yeah. definitely an archetype that is basically heavily based off the Witcher in particular. Yeah, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. for sure. I'm really excited about it because um, to me, it opens up a avenue that hadn't previously been there, and that's bringing in content developed by entirely somebody else in a homebrew setting and bringing mm. into the multiverse that is um D&D because once that that's just the stepping stone there are now so many other worlds I lied that's not the stepping stone they stepped in there with Ravnica they brought Ravnica in mm-hmm. from the magic universe so this is another step in that direction which to me is important because everyone is so and now this is just my opinion based on things I've read so many people are Oh, I got to. I, I don't want the Magic the Gathering or the Critical Role stuff in there. I want I want this. You know, you touched on the Dark Sun, uh, dark, uh, sun stuff. I got to have this. I got to have that. To me, it's here are new options that we get to explore that we haven't seen before. Not something we've already seen. It's not hard to adapt a setting uh, to your fifth edition. In fact, of all the games, in my yeah. opinion, it's the most versatile and the easiest yeah. to do that. So mm-hmm. if, if you don't want those other things don't buy the book <laughs> right and now because they're working to adapt other content we are getting stuff that we've never seen before in the D world which i mm-hmm. think is, is honestly one of my, my the reason i'm so excited um for it and yes i watch critical role or i listen to critical role i don't watch it because who's got four hours to sit and watch that stuff but um i'm really excited for it and i hope everyone else is and if you're peeved that they're going with that instead of something up go buy one of the old books and run it anyway it's all available on the DM skill. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's like, you know, now that there's this, you know, that the DM skill has so much old stuff. It's not like this. Any of this material is out of print. Right. You know, at least not. In, I mean, it's out of print, but it's not unavailable. No, that's, that's what I really <laughs> like about it. And also this this is a really, you know, important step. Critical Role has probably done more than just about anything else to bring more active players. Like, yes, yeah, Stranger Things kind of like reopened, you know, uh, D&D to like mainstream pop culture. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Critical Role is a huge fan base. They come out in droves. I say this. I'm I'm a huge critter personally. Critical Role has, you know, was the reason I got into like start actively playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. Um and, you know, this is a big step. They're they're reaching out to the new fans. Um, you know, they they did this. They did Acquisitions Inc. last year. I, it would not surprise me if somewhere down the road we see um, Adventure Zone content, like official Adventure Zone content. Um, I was thinking that. You know, because that's that's the other big one. Um, and that started off as they they were just using the starter kit. Yeah. Um, it's so, so funny because that uh, that's one of those things that, uh, you know, I love Critical Role. But to me, the first season of um, uh, Adventure Zone is more accurate of a regular D&D game. Oh, yeah. Than any other like stream that I've seen, especially compared to Critical Role, who are professionals. Right. So, well, yeah, I mean, they're they're all professional voice actors who are you know, very skilled at improv, Um, you know, they and the other thing is we came into that game three years into it. They had already by that point been playing for three years. So, you know, they had time to like tweak their characters to the point where that was ready, ready for mass consumption. I mean, my my home game, uh, you know, we're entering our third year and I feel like only now do most of the players really 
like have a handle on what what makes their characters tick. So that you're not alone in that one. That's definitely that's we've had many, many topics on that where people, no matter how much you expect players to learn stuff away from the table, I feel like (laughs) they don't really learn it till they come back and sit and actually are doing it. (laughs) DMs do it uh, away from the table. Players don't generally. In my experience, that's not always true. I'm aware of that. So anyways, I'm really excited for this. I thought it was I was cracking up when I realized you were the person that wrote the article. I was like, this is perfect. (laughs) Yeah, I I wish it wouldn't have leaked. You know, I'm sure they had um, the the, tomorrow's announcement is going to be huge. You know, it it, one of the sad things about my job as a journalist is, you know, um, I'm I'm a fan of Critical Role. I'm a fan of D&D. But, you know, my job is to report the news. And when Amazon leaks something, you know, I, I have to report on it. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I was a bit disappointed that Amazon just couldn't keep it in their pants. But uh, they they got better this time. They they almost made it. They came so close. <laughs> uh, and you guys can catch the uh, the link in our show notes to the, the full article that Christian wrote. So I highly recommend reading that stuff and, and keep an eye out for all his other articles. He's got some good stuff in there. Um, I think that'll do it for our let's talk about blank segment before we move into our main topic. Um, if you enjoy the show, please make sure to hit that like that follow that share all that sort of stuff. Um, you can head on over to criticacademy.com and check out uh, all of our D&D supplements that we've released. Um, we're getting better and better with each one that we release. So <laughs> definitely consider checking those out and signing up for our newsletter to be entered to win fat loots each and every week. We give away good stuff. Good stuff. I think so. Anyway. Yeah. And so does everyone else, because they're all like high star rated stuff. So, well, <laughs> well then so when two guys listen to me, like, I didn't win again. Dang yeah, it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We've recently saw since I redid the site, we saw a significant increase in subscribers. So thank you all. Um, totally worth the worth the struggle and pain and suffering that I went through to put it all together. So. And you let everybody else on the show know that you were suffering. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, <laughs> I was like, you guys need to do something. I'm too damn busy. Um, that being said, <laughs> let's move into our main topic here today. Anatomy of a D&D campaign. Uh, Christian Hoffer, thank you so much for joining us. Um, for the people who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Um, Christian? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm Christian Hoffer. Uh, I write pop culture news for comicbook.com. Uh, that's uh, a website owned by CBS. Um, we get, um, I think we're somewhere around 40 million viewers, uh, visitors a year. Um, I'm honestly not sure of the analytics, but we are a very huge pop culture site uh, that deals uh, mostly with uh, nerd culture. Um, So I write mostly about um, D&D, tabletop news and Pokemon. I love Pokemon. I recently finished Sun, so. I'm behind the times. I know there's other ones out now, but <laughs> so very cool. I actually lo- uh, love your articles. I actually one of the first articles I read from yours was an article that you covered a product of um, Jeff Stevens. I think it was one of his uh, first encounters books. Oh, yeah. And ever since then, I've been following you personally. I love your content. You're a great mm-hmm. writer and you always turn me into emptying my wallet. So I want to thank you for that. <laughs> well, uh, we, we do try to uh, cover a lot of DMs guild uh material uh i i love the dms guild i think it's great uh it's a great uh resource for both dms players and for up-and-coming writers um so you know i'm 
at this point, I guess you could say I'm kind of invested in its success and mm-hmm. the success of, um, you know, a lot of the creators on there. But, you know, I, I try to write, you know, a few DM skilled articles a week. And plus, it helps, you know, as a D&D news writer, you know, they only put out products three, four times a year. So what am I supposed to write about the rest of the time? (laughs) Um, So luckily, the DM skilled is pumping out a lot of professional quality material. uh, So I have no qualms writing about that. And it's like quasi official. You know, it's it's uh, I I like to call it second party content. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's an interesting term. Is that because they're using a lot of Watsy content, but still? uh, Yeah, well, you know, they're 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 technically they're they're kind of like, uh, you know, they're working under a license of sort, Mm -hmm. but not directly because Watsy, you know, ends up owning the content. Yeah. Uh, So. It's it's a weird, weird setup where it's, you can't really call it first party because it's not, you know, if technically, you know, wizard sanctioned. But at the same time, it's not third uh, third party, too, because they're using they're 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 publishing their stuff on a wizard's owned, uh, you know, marketplace and they're using wizard IP. So yeah. that's so second party is what I come <laughs> yeah, up with. That's fantastic. I get that because I don't think a lot of people understand how tied into Wizards of the Coast DMs Guild is because mm-hmm. I remember like one or two times I shared some of the uh, supplements that we we did reviews on, on Reddit, and uh, when I think it's like a Jarlax's Gather or one like the or the Jizzard Tactics one that we did. I can't remember. I don't remember which one, but anyway. But anyway, one guy's like, "Dude, they can't just use just like this." Oh my, what's the coast? Reply back, dude. It's uh, DMs Guild content. It's yeah. sanctioned by wizards. Yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah. that Dritz conversation. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't. Most people didn't understand that. So yeah, yeah I think that's actually a very apt description of that. That's very cool. Um, so ah. you you mentioned you work for comicbook.com. Is that your is that a full time job? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, no, it's it's technically like a part time job. Uh, so my my day job's in commercial banking. Uh, so I have a full career on the side. So. Uh, comicbook.com. Uh, I I used to uh, write about comics a lot more uh, back in my more youthful days, and so when <laughs> I kind of like semi-retired from that, uh, I knew the editor of comicbook.com, and he asked me to like join on in a freelance basis. And so you know, I'm not technically like freelance, like I am, but I'm not. Uh, they're my only client. I've been told repeatedly not to refer to myself as a freelancer. You know by like you know the powers that be so we have an interesting setup but you know i've been working there for five years now so um yeah yeah i can't really complain about it too much and they let me do they let me write about basically whatever i want as cool. shown by you know my major beats pokemon <laughs> and D. <laughs> very cool um so we always like to ask our guests a couple questions before we get into their the discussion of their comment uh, content. And my favorite one is, "What is your most memorable D and D moment?" Oh, um, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while, and I I'm not a hundred percent sure I have a great answer for you. I'm I'm an always DM, um, so you know <laughs> my my most memorable D and D moments are when I get to see my party succeed or when my party really fails. We've had a couple of like really epic close encounters. Uh, the first time I got to pull a, uh, put up a holder on the table was probably our craziest fight yet, just because like the party totally lost their minds. 
Like they just forgot what they were doing. Um, so three of them, uh, you know, and I, I kind of knew like, so I, I have this tendency of playing in these, like, you know, DMing these very large groups. Uh, so my, my main campaign right now has seven players in it. So it's very hard to balance encounters for seven, you know, mid level players, you know, these right now they're all level nine. Uh, so, you know, things can get really swingy one way or another. <laughs> um, so, you know, they had just befriended a character that was a lich and they didn't know she was a lich at the time. Uh, but she had given them a coin that basically allowed them to reverse time by a minute. So when three of the players all dropped dead in this beholder encounter, which I did not expect at all. all. Like I said, they were, they were idiots. I, I <laughs> no other way of describing it. Like they were just, just idiots. Uh, they got bailed out by this coin. And I was like, okay, this coin was eventually going to come in handy. But I was like, in hindsight, I was like, man, I'm really glad I gave them that coin before then. <laughs> and it like hooked them, you know, because the, 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 the catch of it was, was that minute of lost time uh, that got rewound, basically the Lich gained. So she could put back that little minute of time back into their respective timelines at any point in time and kill off three of the characters. So that is the they, coolest side effect ever! Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> now it's, it's funny because they're they're all waiting for, like, the inevitable betrayal of this lich and it hasn't happened yet. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's made for, it's made for a lot of fun moments. So between that and um, my, my other thing is I love my NPCs. We, we have a lot of really great memorable ones. And some of my favorite ones are just like the throwaway characters that end up becoming like a major part of the campaign. <laughs> that um, happens. Is, I, how that happens is beyond me. Like I'll have a, <laughs> I'll have this very uh, fleshed out NPC and they'll care about the garbage man, you know? Yeah, we um, we did a Christmas one shot um, back in 2018 where the players played as their parents. Uh, <laughs> and it was just like, you know, shits and giggles because we didn't want to kill anybody, any of our major players off in this one shot where they were fighting for obviously the snowman. <laughs> um, and they came across these two hags, um, which was supposed to be like a red herring. And, you know, like I they, they could have solved it through role play. They could have solved it through combat. And they end up caroling to them. And then one <laughs> of the players made a deal like, hey, uh, because the, the hags actually had like a lost child. But like there was multiple lost children and they were like, no, we just kind of snatched one and we're going to turn her into our newest like member of our hag coven. <laughs> and they're like, how about this? I'm going to give you my daughter instead. <laughs> And we'll take this one back. So suddenly one of the players became a hag. Oh, man. So, you... and so now that the hags are these like major parts of the campaigns and we call them the not so bad hags because they're like <laughs> reformed hags and they actually killed off their older sister who was the actual bad hag. And like the hags have become such like a major part of the campaign and like. The players will like request to talk to the hags because I have a terrible hag voice that they love hearing <laughs> um, and they're just ridiculous and I love them both so much. And I'll be really sad when they inevitably die because oh, uh, nice. all things must die. <laughs> right, right. That sounds awesome. And so did you uh, when uh, and I, I really don't want to drag this on too long, but when you uh, they the, the the player became a hag themselves did they get any like benefit did you give them like a special feature or maybe a magic so, item or anything 
they yes, uh, they they uh, so they got a couple of things. They got access. They're they're slowly gaining access to the various levels of hag spells. Like the like, I don't like the the oh as long as the hags are within ninety feet of each other, they they gain the benefit of the hag circle. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've ignored that rule, <laughs> and so uh, they are slowly gaining more and more access. But oh, the big cool. thing is is that this campaign centers around. Uh, nine major demon lords that have all been imprisoned inside medallions and the various forces trying to either obtain the medallions for themselves and thus seize the power of the demon lords or the demon lords followers trying to free uh, their their masters. And so uh, this player uh, actually had one of those talent. Uh, they're, they're called the Talon Marks. I have no idea how I came up with that name. They, they cool. have nothing to do with talons or marks. Um, <laughs> I, I, they were just, they sounded cool. It does. Uh, but they had one of the talon marks. And so because she joined the, the uh, because she the character joined the hag circle, um, the three hags, her being one of them, could collectively control the power of the demon lord to the point where she gained some of those abilities and now she actually now she's gotten they they added another member to their hag coven um who also has another talent mark so now she has two demon lord abilities which is which is pretty cool do you have room for another player (laughs) Uh, (laughs) no uh like i have a one of our friends has been begging me for uh, like several months through proxies um, to join the campaign. And I finally, finally relented. So I'm just waiting for them to join. Uh, (laughs) So we'll be at eight players then. And it's like, I live in a small house. Like we don't have enough room for all these people. Uh, We all like cram around a coffee table when we play. So it'll be interesting. Oh, that sounds so cool. Um. So, and last question I want to ask directly uh, before we actually get into the anatomy. Um, is there a moment where you've ever failed as a DM or as a player? Oh, plenty of times. I, uh, I've lost my temper. I lost my temper one time. Um, like, I, I don't always... Uh, the, one of the lessons that I've had to learn is, you know, as a DM, we put a lot of time into, like, building the world, building the story, prepping for sessions... Um, and something that I learned it was about a year into the campaign was, you know, to take the amount of time and effort that you're putting into it and make sure that matches that of what the players are putting into it. Because like my first group and I love them, they're like some of my best friends. It's actually this like the the campaign that we're about to talk about is yes. that group. Um, you know, I was like had like just notes upon notes upon notes and they just wanted to fuck around <laughs> and I, I lost my temper about it. I was like, okay, you know, and like I, it was something that I needed to come to a realization. I mean, there were some things that they were doing wrong. Like, you know, like they, they, I felt like I wasn't being given the respect for the amount of time that I was putting into it, but you know, it's a two way street. I was putting in way too much time and effort into it. And so, like, you know, I dialed it back uh, a lot and it became a much enjoy, much more enjoyable experience. And so, like, learning that lesson was a hard lesson that I had to learn. But I think that my DM style has really benefited as a result. Yeah, I think that is a great segue unless you had something. Um, 
What that game made me think of was, I think we've all at some point dealt with a DM who lost her temper and have said, I'm the DM, my game, my rules. Oh, I've never said that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I've been pissed off before. But I feel like if you're saying that, then that is usually the point where the game's dead. Yeah. 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 And, no, I and that's that's the thing is like, you know, you're in a weird spot as the DM. Like, you yeah. know, we've we've we haven't. The, the nice thing is, is, you know, we haven't had a real blow up in our D&D games in a couple of years now. And most of it is just, you know, knowing what the expectations are. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, sometimes like, yeah, it annoys me like uh one time I had a player complain about like that. There were too many like, you know, plot threads uh, in this epic fantasy story. I'm like, have you ever read <laughs> epic fantasy? Like, but, you know, like I took took that complaint under advisement and I, I you know, start to dial them down. Like a lot of them are just plot hooks like you right. can take them or leave them. Or, you know, it's stuff that you guys are going to have to confront like six months, a year down the road. Right. Like it's just stuff going on in the background so you know you 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 take that criticism and it's never meant well most of the time like <laughs> you know uh, most of the time you know none of this is meant as like you know like a personal attack um so you 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 learn you learn from you know what your players want and then you you need to adapt i mean that that's the big thing is like dms are supposed to be adaptable uh, the biggest weakness of a DM is when you are the the my game, my rules mindset. It's not yeah. your game. No, nope. you know, uh, it is technically your rules, I guess. But, you know, uh, players don't like them then they're not going to play with you. <laughs> right. It's like it's not. You're right. It is your game. We have no players. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I get in. I get into that online with people a lot. My wife's always like, "You shouldn't bother arguing with those people." It's like I have to prove them wrong. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. anatomy of a D and D campaign. Can you tell us what it is? So this is a. It's not exactly a week by week look anymore because uh, a new column hasn't come out in a month or two. Uh, mainly due to just bad timing on our. A lot of things parts. I, I just got too busy to really like dedicate the amount of time. But it's basically this look at how one plans a D&D series. Um, at, I, I have two quasi occasional like I have a couple of good drafts. that will be coming up here later this month. Uh, columns. Uh, one's called D&D 101, which is like basic, basic level stuff like, OK, so I've I've sat down like how how do I find people to play D&D with? That's the sort of stuff that D&D 101 talks about. Mm -hmm. Anatomy of a D&D campaign is more like session planning. Like, you know, how do I react to certain situations? Like what what do I do? Um, you know, like basically it's just like, you know, what I do when I sit down to plan this specific D&D campaign. Um, and our the, the current campaign that, you know, we're covering is what is my Friday group. Mm -hmm. um, so this is, you know, this is a group we've played together now for over three years. Um, we recently decided to take a hiatus on this long campaign that we had been doing actually in Pathfinder mm -hmm. uh, and switch over to 5e. And so we had decided to do like a smaller, more story driven campaign. 
Um, so yeah, so that's what, what the, what that's all about. Yeah. And I was, I was reading the article and I think it said, uh, a group agreed to focus on the smaller story driven campaign, uh, and didn't want to be involved in a lot of sandbox exploration. Now to me, that sounds like they wanted a more traditional, like railroady story where you're just giving them a story and they're playing through it. Is is that, am I taking that right? Yeah, for the most part. Um, so uh, they they really they they don't mind like basically they want to be told where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, now what they do when they go there is totally up to them. Um, and you know there's a little bit of a give and take there. Um, like you know like I'll give them objectives at the beginning of the the campaign uh, or the beginning of the session, and how they go about completing those objectives is totally up to them. Like, you know, uh, our, our most recent one uh, was actually our Dragon Yule uh, story, uh, which we kind of did over the holidays and it spilled out into uh, two days ago. Um, and, you know, basically they were charged with getting a Dragon Yule tree and a present. And so how they went about doing that, I didn't give a shit. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, that's what they wanted. They wanted clear objectives that they could complete. Um, And that was a problem of our, you know, original campaign. um, And it caused things to drag out way too long. And I think that the group, especially uh, the the, the background of this is this group, like I said, we've been playing together for three years. um, But two of our players had broken up and had split apart. And we didn't really feel comfortable with continuing that story. And so everyone was kind of like, okay, we don't know what the future holds. So let's like actually get a campaign done. <laughs> <laughs> Those are rare. <laughs> and I was like, I was kind of like in the back of my ass, like, I don't know what that means because the only other married couple that's here is me and my wife. That's <laughs> like, I don't know. That's funny. We're not going anywhere, but like, you know, I, I agreed with them. We wanted to do a shorter campaign and it's, it's, it's fun. It's a different, it's a change of pace and railroading is fun. I like railroading like toot toot. It- Really? <laughs> chugga, chugga. <laughs> it's not like a big choo-choo train. Um, the reason I this really caught my eye is because with the exception of the mod, the, the adventure books we're running right now, we just finished Storm King's Thunder and we're moving into Descent into Avernus. Up to that point, I've always placed, played what I call a mod, uh, modular game where I have ma- major plot points. And mm-hmm. but I don't care how they get there, you know, like, OK, uh, Big Bad is planning to murder this person over here who's their political opponent. They mm-hmm. know that I don't care how they address it. I don't care what they do. Eventually, they're going to get there. And I just kind of guide them that way, depending on what choices they make. And mm-hmm. some people that to me, that's like railroad light. <laughs> like I've, I've got a plan in place, but I don't really I don't say here's the only hook you have. Go do whatever you want. And okay, how can I as the DM tie that set of events to this character or this NPC or this event? Mm -hmm. So um, I've always been a fan of that, but I find it only it works best because I don't my players aren't generally aware of it. You know, it's yeah, they they feel like they're in control, but I don't give them 100 plot hooks because I can't remember them all. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's how most D&D campaigns, I think, go is. Um, you're in charge of building the background and how the players react to it really is what the story is. I mean, you know, like 
some somebody getting murdered by somebody else. I mean, they're not the unless they're the ones who's got the knife or have the knife put in them. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's when that's that's the sort of railroading that's bad. Is like, right. okay, I point to you and this guy dot. You you know this guy is you know coming for you and the murder has to happen no matter what. Right. Uh, you know, um, that, that, that is bad railroading. Good railroading is what you talk about is like, you know, the characters are aware of something that is going to happen and how they react to it is what the story is about. If they, if they want to ignore it, they want to, you know, they can ignore it. Like, you know, if, you know, they know about an assassination plot about the king, but they don't give a shit about the king. The king dies. The, the king dies. <laughs> and then you they have to deal with the aftermath, yep. which is maybe the world falls into anarchy or, you know, maybe the new king is better or, you know, maybe the king has no heirs. But it turns out that one of the players actually, you know, is the bastard kid of the king. And, you know, there's there's a million different ways that you can take that story. Um and so, yeah, so people format. say that that sort of thing is railroady. You know, they don't know what actual railroading is. Yeah, right. <laughs> I want to go left. I don't give a shit. There is nothing to the left. You're going right, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Chuckle says only half the calories for full flavor railroad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay. One of the things that you pointed out in your article was in this main campaign, your players wanted to play kind of an evil campaign, if you will. But... Lots of people point out that uh, evil campaigns often fizzle out because just being evil isn't really much of a motivation for a good storyline. And yeah. let's face it, a lot of times that usually ends up in people backstabbing each other crap done. <laughs> but yeah. wh- why do you believe that being evil by itself is... Why does that always fizzle out? Uh, well, I think that I think that because people... They they're they don't have a motivation beyond like, oh, I want to play a backstabber. Well, it's in my nature to backstab, you know, so I'm going to backstab the people that I'm most likely to backstab, which are the people that I interact with, um, which which are the other players. And that, that like, you know, I don't I'm not the biggest fan of PvP combat personally, uh, you know, and that seems to be where a lot of evil campaigns go is <laughs> <laughs> PvP. <laughs> Um, and like, you know, if, if you're just, if you're just constantly murdering your NPCs and like, what, what the hell's the point? You know, that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, so that, that's why I think that like being evil isn't a good enough motivation for an entire D and D campaign. Yeah. And I, 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 I would agree with that. At first I was, when I was, I was reading through this, I was like, well, I've, I've, I've only successfully run one real evil campaign and that's because the players didn't know they were evil yeah <laughs> they're like wait are we the bad guys i'm like yeah <laughs> but i remember a friend of mine i forget where he heard this he saw this one dm whose players wanted to play an evil campaign and they went like we went on an evil campaign but want to keep everything on track and we didn't want to outright murder each other. How do we play evil characters and not do that? Their DM then pulled out a history book and said, here you go. And it's the history of the Nazi party. Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't think they're wrong. Um, well, yeah, that's that's that. And that was what the 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 big thing is, is you have to come up with a way that the characters are the protagonists of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're running an evil campaign, that's fine, but they still have to be in their eyes the good guys. There needs to be something motivating them. 
And there needs beyond just like I want to stab people in the back. It's like that's a murder hobo campaign. Yeah, that's right. not an evil <laughs> campaign. That is just you know, just okay. You walk into a town and you start murdering every person you see. That that's fine. You can do that. Many D and D campaigns do that. <laughs> oh. But you know, like that's that's not like a good campaign, especially a story driven campaign. You know. Uh, you can get away with that in sandbox stuff because, you know, there, there's not a necessarily a hard plot. But if you're doing story driven, a story driven evil campaign, you have to figure out a way to make that works. One of my great my one of my personal favorite villains, and I know I'll probably get laughed at for this, is I absolutely loved Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze because his whole evil thing was he's trying to save his wife who he froze because she's dying i mean i think that's something everybody could relate to i'm sure yeah. the the acting is horrible and the story plot itself is garbage but out of that 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 story plot i love mr freeze because you really could understand where he was coming from and that made him uh, a real sort of bad guy good guy i guess i mean good guy yeah. bad, bad good guy wrong approach yeah, no, and that's 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 like the best villains think they're right. Yeah, you know, uh, they're they're not just evil for the sake of being evil. They usually have some goal, and you know, the the best villains are the ones who have a goal that you can relate to. I mean, you know, occasionally you get your like jokers and stuff like that, which is just like chaotic evil. But the the bulk of them, you know, stray more towards like you know, lawful neutral or lawful evil where they have a clear um, reason for doing what they're doing right. and they might not be wrong. <laughs> my <Thanos. laughs> one of my all time favorite villains is uh, from the show Farscape Scorpius. Mm -hmm. And he's one of those like uh, villains who at first you're like, I really hate this guy. He's doing all these horrible things. But when you get to know the character, the series goes out you're like, wow. This guy has really gone through crap. <laughs> yeah. no, no wonder why he's he's doing what he's doing. And let's face it, he definitely, without question, plays the long game, and he definitely has a simple, brutal efficiency to it. And he even has a respect for the main characters, and vice versa. And mm -hmm. he even under the table kind of nudges him along and actually helps him out because it kind of, let's face it, helps him out long term. <laughs> yeah. And you respect the guy, but only for him to now that now and then do something that we go. Oh, right. Evil. He's a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. So um, in the in the, the in this article, you say we tossed around a few ideas. Maybe someone had imprisoned the God of Death um, referencing the evil campaign. Um, mm -hmm. This is interesting to me because it sounds like you sat down at the table with your party and decided on the, the plot of the campaign. And that, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. I've never seen that before. Well, so when we sat down, you know, we kind of tried to do this like session zero um, where we were talking about the characters. And when they decided they wanted to do a more evil campaign, my rebuttal, because that's not what I usually do for D&D, &D, um, is, OK, you guys need a reason for doing the things that you guys are doing. Um, and so what we eventually ended up settling on, and sadly, this really, you know, we talk about that this is an evil campaign. This isn't necessarily an, necessarily an evil campaign. This is an idiot campaign. Everyone, <laughs> all the players play as morons. Everyone on this island seems to be a moron. 
um, because they all roll terribly on literally everything I do. Um, it's like, oh, God, apparently, apparently you guys are finding a bunch of idiots, which makes sense because you are also idiots. It's just an <laughs> island of idiots. Um, so what what we had ended up decided on doing was there was a one of my favorite NPC, one of the group's favorite NPCs from the first campaign uh, was a character named Krona. And Krona was a an occult dragon imprisoned in the Shadowfell, um, basically by his dad, who was also a major NPC in this campaign. And basically Krona's crime, uh, the reason why he was like in time out was because he convinced his godmother, who was a time dragon, to go back in time so that he could install himself as a god. And so he That's did cool. that. It was fun. Then his father showed up, wrecked everything, uh, and then put him in timeout. Um, and so <laughs> timeout. <laughs> and funny. so uh, the the idea was was that the cultists, you know, were the remnants of this ancient religion that was set up in the dragon's eyes relatively recently. Um, so it's a young dragon. Very irresponsible, not necessarily evil, um, but just more stirs up trouble wherever he goes. And so he accidentally frees this entity that his father had also in prison called the Thousand Mouths. And this is an entity of consumption, which is literally eating its way to the material plane to eat the world. Um, and so That's cool, the man. only way of stopping this is for Krona to get free. Um, and so the cultists are trying to free him so that their God can stop the problem that he created on accident. So, you know, they're playing cultists. So they're, they're definitely, definitely bad. You know, like <laughs> they, 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 they play as characters, not uh, outsiders to society. So in that sense, they're bad. Um but, you know, there are they evil, really evil? I think that depends. I mean, <laughs> they're they're trying to do a good thing. They're trying to save the world. Um inspect what you human sacrifices to do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so I uh, like I said, and and they play the most delightful morons and like everything about this campaign, I love it so much because I just I I um like my my humor style, like when I where I really take off is when we dive into the absurd. And so I can get really one. I can get really fucking weird. And <laughs> two, I can just have a lot of fun. Like uh, the the cultist leader is named Four Kobolds uh, and it's Four named Kobolds. Four and Kobolds? They, yeah, he's, he's the Four Kobolds is actually Four Kobolds that hide inside a very obviously stuffed dummy that just sits on a chair. <laughs> the trench coat um, and stuff. <laughs> the characters don't know it. I mean, they know the four kobolds. It's actually four kobolds because the four kobolds don't even do a very good job of hiding it. Uh, in fact, when their dragon god came uh, to tell them, like, hey, I need you guys to do this thing. Uh, he possessed the four kobolds and caused one of the kobolds to come out of the dummy. And they're all like, they have turned, our dragon god has turned this man into a kobold. <laughs> and so like, one of the characters is like, I want to become like a pack of kobolds too. Like, <laughs> when we complete this task for you, I would like to be reborn as like, and the number keeps going higher and higher. It's like, 
right now he's like, I wish to be reborn as 85 kobolds. <laughs> um, and so like four kobolds, like is very much a dummy. So whenever I get the chance to like role play him, like the, the last session, uh, the kobolds actually got into a fight. Like in front of in, the characters inside over, the like little armor thing in, inside the scummy. It's not even like armor. It's just like a robed figure. <laughs> and like the kobolds kind of like rustle around inside the body. <laughs> and we have like one that's head kobolds. We have right arm kobold. We have left arm kobold. And then we have like lower area kobold. And so to the kobolds, like basically the party had to evacuate their uh, their their cult headquarters. And so the kobolds, you know, has been running this racket basically to accumulate shiny things. <laughs> uh, and so they like the kobolds are like, we don't want to abandon the shiny things. Um, and two of the kobolds got into an argument over how much shiny stuff should they try to like take out from them. And like one of the kobolds and like everyone's freaking dying. Like one of the kobolds is just like, I swear to God, Gary, <laughs> do not make me come up there. I will beat the shit out of you and like you know and like the other kobolds like oh we're gonna have words later we're gonna we're gonna have words and like you know and like they've been and the cultists like our our party has been actively recruiting more cultists over the course of the story so there's like 40 or 50 like cultists now and they're all like kind of like sing there and like the, the best part of it is there's a bunch of goblins that have joined and it's like really codified the religion they they actually wrote uh the the holy scripture <laughs> like so what 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 is this religion about and so they're like writing it all down it's like the goblins are all like are, are you sure we're supposed to follow this guy i mean the actual religion sounds cool but are you sure that four kobolds isn't actually like four kobolds and it's great <laughs> it's so much fun um yeah that's that's like my favorite part about it's like they're just idiots they're all idiots and they get away with stuff too they that's accidentally right. they they blew up um they 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 were trying to get this dragon yule tree in the last week of the campaign uh and uh they they ran into a patrol of soldiers who were coming to eradicate the cult um and so they 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 uh, one of them is an uh, is an uh, oh shoot uh, an artificer, and so he basically caused he he hit his turret, rolled really high on the like survival and stealth check needed to hide the turret by the road, and basically created an IED. Oh that no! Murdered half half the soldiers, <laughs> and like they all the soldiers all rolled. Terribly, like I was like giving them active perception checks, and not a one saw it coming. So nice. there's just a very obvious bomb <laughs> on the side of the road, covered up by leaves, because they're idiots. Like you know, and like the soldiers walk on by and just get nuked by them, and it's like you know, it's like blood and guts is everywhere, and like everyone's kind of like, oh, oh God, we really are the bad guys here. <laughs> We're the terrorists. Holy shit. That's really cool. And you touched on the fact that they have lived only like what three months to save the world from the threat of a Chrono's making, and the aspect of the time limit the, uh, does push them urgency here and there. What was the thought process behind this decision? That was mainly the justification for railroading. Um, oh. So you know when they they wanted to do a shorter campaign, you know that that was step one. So we, we need to come up with a hook for that, which is like, why, why, why can this campaign? And like, you know, I know these players, they know me. 
we will both stretch things out as far as humanly possible. I mean, we, you know, half the half that group plays in my like main campaign, which is, you know, hitting the two year mark here next month or in like a month or two. I forget it was February or March. And, you know, we're like maybe halfway through. <laughs> um, like we're we're like solidly in act two there. But, you know, uh, we, we knew that like if left to our own devices, this thing would never end. And we have some people who like have other obligations during the summer. So we're trying to wrap it up uh, for the spring. You know, we have other people who want to play at the table. Um, so. You know, this is kind of it was more of just meant to be a transitional campaign. Um, so the decision was made like, OK, then let's put like a hard time limit. Like if you guys can't complete this this task by the end of like, you know, 90 days, like in story. And they're about like 60 days into it right now. Um, the world's going to end like you, you you didn't save the world, you know, like that. That's that's like, you know, like look at um like basically you know that that's a what a lot of action movies are about is like they have x amount of time to complete this task or else a lot of people die uh, and the bad guys win i mean in this case they're the bad guys so the bad guys lose you know everyone loses at that point i guess yeah, <laughs> the world will be consumed and also they have a little bit of an invested you know while i don't think they have too strong of attachments to the cultists they're playing like they love like they're they, these are like you know idiots that they love like we love our idiot children but when it comes time for them to die we will send them gladly to their deaths but established that this is the same world that their main DD campaign you know that our past D campaign which are characters that they actually like cherish right so if they don't save the world the characters that they love will die like all of the stuff that they did in their last campaign will be erased mm -hmm. Very cool. That, I, I really like that. The the time approach is something I'm a big fan of. I like putting crunch for time because, first of all, mechanically, it forces them to not take as many long rests and short rests and stuff like that. So to see an entire campaign be on a time limit is something that I've never done before. So that was kind of very intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the, the last things I really wanted to touch on, and this comes back to your DMing style, which, by the way, I am just I, I'm loving this is. Um, you basically decided this was going to take place in its own special world. Mm -hmm. And when you were designing this, this island of, uh, oh, I forgot the name of the world. Oroboros. Oroboros. Oboros. Oboros. That word. That one. I should have wrote it. Yeah, down. yeah. But um, we, we, we butcher it within the campaign yeah, so well. don't worry about it <laughs> so what i thought was really cool you basically it sounds like you described it to your players as like a hawaii-sized island and then mm -hmm. from there they assumed it had a dormant volcano and it was lost jungles and then so you say i quickly scratched out my original plan yeah um that that is just mind-boggling to me because you basically said here's all the work i put in it but they think this so i'm just gonna go with this over here you actively changed it to support their vision what what led to that sort of play style? I mean, that's amazing. Uh, well, you know, you want the players to be invested in the world. You want players to be um, feel like they are an active participant mm -hmm. in the creation of this this place. Like, you know, my my thing is I'm I'm very much a story person. You know, like I I, I love campaign settings um, and like I love world building. 
Uh, but at the same time, I can build a world anywhere. Um, I can tell a story anywhere. So, you know, it, it doesn't matter to me where or how this takes place, I guess. You know, so let, let the players, players have some agency in that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, let them, you know, like we, we had collectively decided to start a new campaign. We had collectively decided on like the general like story hook. Um, so why not have them have some sort of like hand in the world? Um, and, you know, like uh, when when we came up with this, I told them each to give me like a, a helpful NPC and a non-helpful NPC. We probably would. We, we haven't really touched on that, but I use those ideas to kind of like flush out what their thoughts on the world was. So, you know, by just saying that, OK, this this is going to take place on an island the size of Hawaii. And the reason I did this was it was a railroading choice. You know, mm -hmm. if they they only have so much so many places they can go on this island, right. you know, <laughs> uh, but, you know, they immediately thought of like, OK, like the Hawaiian chain. So they each of their characters come from different islands and this island chain. That wasn't really something I'd thought of. But yeah, sure. Why the hell not? Like, let's <laughs> run with it. Right. OK, I can I can do deal with this. And also, I like it because, you know, let's say that we want to keep this thing going for some reason. We're not going to keep this thing going, but let's say that we will. Well, now there's more islands out there to explore, you know, um, like, let's go and find what what sort of weird idiots live on those places. <laughs> Relatives of the players, probably. Yes. <laughs> um, so you you overall are, are putting this 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 chain of articles together as you're making your way through your campaign setting called Anatomy of a, a D&D campaign. Um, mm hmm. You, you you already mentioned that previously that it wasn't week to week. Um, yeah. This is still something that is ongoing that people can follow and 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 monitor in your progress through and maybe even you know ask you kind of details about what they want to see you discuss in your articles. Yeah, um, um, yeah, we I will be writing up a new anatomy of a D and D campaign here uh, probably next week uh, or like you know in this coming week we'll try to get one up here, especially since I now talked about it on a podcast. <laughs> I can probably get back to it. Um, but, you know, the, the the reason why we we stopped is we we, we didn't play during the month of October. Uh, um, uh, was was the main reason why uh, each of the players we we had decided there's there's four players. This is the first time. I've ever played in a four-person D&D campaign. And then we we added a fifth. One of our friends literally showed up of no out of nowhere and was like, I would like to play D&D. Can you teach me? And it's like, we're playing as morons. But yes, yes, you can. <laughs> She's loving it. That's um, but uh, you know, each each one of the players had like a different reason, like a different weekend that we were out. So we just didn't play for the month of October. It's like I had nothing to write about during October. And then November, the new Pokemon game came out. So literally my life was consumed for about <laughs> three weeks um, writing about that. And then the holidays were here. So yeah. that that's the main reason why these the the this series hadn't like picked up. But, you know, we we've got a couple of good sessions. We had some like good you know, writing ideas, um, you know, good couple of cool things have happened. Uh, you know, we've we've had a couple of twists um, to the story. So, yeah, there's there's something to write about now on this. So, yeah, it'll be fun. That's awesome. Where if they want to follow you aside from comicbook.com, where are the, what where other what other places can they find you at? Uh, I'm very active on Twitter. Um, that's at C Hoffer, C-H-O-F-F-E-R, C bus. 
CBUS. So that's all one word. Um, so that, that's the main way you can uh, find me. Um, I, I do run a, a weekly Pokemon podcast uh, that CBS puts out on a weekly basis because that is a weird thing that happened last year that has become pretty popular. Um, so that's called A Wild Podcast Has Appeared. So if you want to listen to me ramble about fictional uh, cute little monsters, that's that's, you know, something I do. As soon as I get uh, a link, I'll toss that into the show notes for you as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, so we um, yeah, so that that's the main two places is Twitter. I talk about D&D a lot. Um, I'll, I'll have a lot of thoughts about uh, this new Explorer's Guide to Wildmount uh, tomorrow. You know, I'm trying to, like, be respectful. I know a lot of the Critical Role folks on a professional level. Um, so, you know, I and the D&D folks, obviously, I know all of them and I like all of them. So, like I said, it sucks that their embargo got broken by Amazon. Right. So I'm trying not to talk about it too much. But once the announcement comes out, I will have my words about them. We'll definitely uh, be excited to see that. Um, oh, yeah, I'm we'll super sure excited about swear it. that. Uh, it, so before we move on to our final segment. We have another gift to give away. That's right. Another one. Compliments of our boy, Jeff Stevens. We are giving away a copy of Encounter on the Savage Seas, too. Have you actually uh, had a chance to look at uh, this uh, book there, Christian? I have, actually. It's very good. Uh, Jeff Stevens puts out a lot of really quality work. I love the Savage Encounter series. Mm -hmm. Um, So whoever's getting their hands on this, uh, you're in for a treat. Oh, yeah. It'll tickle your dice in a way you have never felt. I promise. (laughs) So that being said, who is our winner of this awesome collection of 16 mini adventures that are nautical themed? They're uh, Christian. Oh, uh, Rick's dot John. John, if you enjoy the product, please leave Jeff Stevens a review. But if you didn't win, no problem. Crit Academy still has you covered. Yep. Head on over to CritAcademy.com slash Jeff Stevens, and you will be uh, able to pick up Encounters on the Savage Seas 3 free. Yep. So definitely do that. Fat loots for everyone. We're just making it rain on you guys today. Do that. <laughs> now, on to our final segment. In everyone's favorite segment. And now, what you've all been waiting for. Our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment. Where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Did you hear that, by chance? Oh, okay. The last person couldn't, so I didn't know if I broke something. Because I always break <laughs> shit. Um, so, <laughs> today our, our character concept is the Bloodsworn. My enemies must pay for their crimes, and the only payment I will accept is their blood. Now, obviously, this is definitely slightly chosen based on uh, reading uh, Christian's article, but um, going through some old 4 stuff, I, I always get really great ideas. So, uh, evil emerges from the dark- darkest to uh, from the darkness to devour the innocent only those who with courageous souls stand against their machinations helping heal and rebuild the lives of the innocent for bloodsworn though uh for bloodsworn though guarding against wickedness is not enough 
they must <laughs> they insist on taking the fight to their foe in a quest to destroy all no exceptions the darkness of evil is what brings uh, <clears throat> the darkness of evil is what brings the blood sworn into existence some terrible event sowed the seeds of vengeance in the evil's individual's heart goading them to take up the sword and spell to fight back against the evil often blood sworn are survivors of slaughters whether from raiding orcs a dark cult sacrifice <laughs> or a dragon attack swearing bitter vows to the gods or their dead comrades blood sworn travel a path of righteous vengeance um, now, traditionally, you have the 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 oath of vengeance, which is kind of a paladin thing. I want mm -hmm. this isn't necessarily a theme that needs to be tied to a paladin. Any character can can follow this. I think I've seen rangers do it too, is justification for their um their um, favorite enemy. Yeah, their favorite enemy shtick. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like this concept. I think it's that the idea of a player want uh, a player's character wanting to eradicate some sort of individual or group out of extinction extinction just sounds very disruptive to the good guys <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about this christian uh i i've seen several variants of this um you know our first campaign our ranger basically basically was this uh and we made fun of him a lot calling him emo um <laughs> Very much uh, that. You know, like this, this is a very solid character path. Uh, you're right. It, it uh, Oath of Vengeance, you know, makes the most sense, but you can really go anyway. Um, in my main campaign, we have, uh, you know, a, kind of a variant of this um, where there was a it was a sorcerer slash warlock build. Um, but he was the last survivor of his library, he got torn to pieces uh, by cool. a uh, invading army, and he the only reason he survived is he walked into the wrong room and came into contact with a, another plane of existence. That's um, awesome. So, but you know that that actually has become like a major plot point in our campaign. And you know what's nice about this from a DM's perspective is you know the story hooks are all there. They're they're all built into this. This you, you don't have to do anything, <laughs> you, know? Like, you, you know, you have a character that's instantly invested the second that somebody shows up, you know, uh, that's great. That's the, I love that personally. Yeah. And you got anything? I immediately thought of uh, Sheldon Cooper's sworn emulas from. Yes! <laughs> You've just made my list. <laughs> I would love to be a player just carrying a list of sworn enemies. <laughs> like I'm adding you to my list and then physically write it out. <laughs> Billy from Village X is next on my list. <laughs> he called me a jerk. <laughs> um, this isn't something that's new, um, but I felt like it really fit the, uh, the the discussion topic for the day. So I picked it up out of the old one of the old four e books. Cannot recommend that stuff again, uh, enough. If you hated four e, there is a lot of good, valuable role play stuff in there. So mm -hmm. check it out. Despite what some people insist. Yeah, very much yeah. a great tabletop game. Yeah, for for e like uh, I I have my issues with it mechanically, but like the lore is some of the strongest. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that that that's the thing that I, I really wish we could get more of the content that we got out of for for e without the fiddly mechanics. 
Um, you know, like the, the actual the actual stuff that they, they put out with 4E was really great. You know, this the, the mechanics were controversial. Yeah, I, I think it depends what you're looking for. Like, I don't think it was yeah. a good D&D game, but I think it was a great tabletop game. Yeah, and exactly. I think one thing 4E did very well is with some exceptions here and there, they did a relatively good job of leveling out the classes, if you will. Because I feel like mm-hmm. in basically every other edition, the martial guys are awesome at low levels, but then they start sucking compared to the spellcasters at higher levels. Yeah, but at level yep. 30, everyone can jump to the moon. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my problems with it. But anyways, um, I think that'll do it for our character concept. Uh, Ian, would you like to tell us about our monster variant? Our uh, mess. Now, you don't have to read the little parts on the lore. That's for anybody that wants to go look. Just the. Yeah. OK, sorry. How dare you interrupt me? Yeah, it's, it's new <laughs> stuff I added that don't you don't have to read. Today's buzzer variant is the Fane. The Fane is a creature consisting of a coalition mist. While from its upper torso, it resembles a shadow-like humanoid, its lower half is similar to that of a panther. Its coalescing mist ripples around it, as if it can barely hold its form together. Native to the Astral Sea, they use their ability to manipulate time to sow the seeds of chaos across the cosmos oh this is really cool so um i added some other lore bits that you can feed to your players if you want but most of that's just caught kind of in the the description there um so uh christian you're uh if you're new to the show or anybody that's joining us for the first time for our monster variant we basically take an original stat block from the monsters manual and we make a few alterations and we do our best to keep it within the same uh cr sometimes Mm -hmm. it bumps up or goes down a little bit but we're really trying to trade uh change the stat block to give you something new and juicy so for in case for this to work uh ian which features do we have to remove from the Death Slad. Well, you, you gotta lose telepathy, shape-changing, regeneration, bite, the great sword, and its current spell list. Pretty much everything that makes it a Death Slad <laughs> at this point. You just keep the numbers at yeah, that point. Yeah, the numbers at that point are all that we need. And this is, the reason we like to do this is because it can be difficult and time-consuming to figure out the exact balancing of monsters. Mm-hmm. Why do that when it's already been tested stat-wise? So. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned as a DM is just use existing monster stat blocks and kind of build from them. Absolutely. So you're going to give it a new spell list. It's going for at will cantrips. You're going to give it blade war or at will. I can't say cantrips because they're not all cantrips for at will. You're going to give them blade ward, ray of sickness and true strike. That's right. I said it. True strike. No one uses true strike. When you have legend <laughs> legendary actions, it's not as crappy. <laughs> um, you're going to give it two a day each because it's a bender and twister of time. You're going to pick up haste, ray of enfeeblement and slow. All of these are great ways to represent um, them either aging the character or 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 um, to slow them down or just altering the sense of time around them. And then once a day, you're going to let them do cloud kill. And most importantly, plane shift, because 
We got to get out of Dodge sometimes. <laughs> I'm out, suckers. <laughs> um, so a few other changes that you'll get is you're going to change the claws to temporal touch. And you're, instead of like the poison or whatever it does, it's going to do a con save and half of its it's going to lose half of its movement um, and can't take reactions until the end of the next turn. So once again, you're really touching on that slowing effect. Um, mm -hmm. They're moving slower. They're sluggish. The fact they can't take reactions means it can dart in between different players without having to feel the suffering wrath of a smite or some shit like that actually they can't smite on their uh, uh, reaction can they paladins can no. smite on a reaction um, they, can they I, yeah they can it's say, an action yeah he shall not be smit smitten smit smited smitten yeah nah, whatever um and then uh in addition to that you're going to give it three legendary actions choosing from one of the options below um if you don't know legendary actions happen at the end of an opponent's turn you can give him temporal touch which basically allows him to slow enemies uh, and get around i thought and then he can also for two action points um he can actually cast a list from his prepared spells as normal now this is where the true strike really comes into play you cast true strike at the end of the turn when you're out of the big spells right because they're very limited and now he has advantage on the next ray of sickness or whatever attack you manage to do which once again can be flavored as him slowing the time around the enemies or speeding himself up either way granting quote-unquote advantage with true strike can be the, the 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 mechanic for it of the flavor that you're giving it of him fading in and out and moving through time and stuff um what do you think about that christian uh i i like this uh creature a lot uh i'm not gonna lie i'm probably gonna use it here <laughs> um in, in one of my campaigns of uh, uh i i really uh the temporal touch is is great for me um just because um you know some of its effectiveness is you know i i feel like this would be most effective with multiple creatures in play oh for like sure. you know one of them isn't going to you know being able to have a uh, movement speed and can't take reactions isn't going to really affected if your party's only attacking one of these creatures but Absolutely. two or three of these guys uh yeah this could be a world of hurt for him oh and it was so much fun once again uh i like to introduce mechanics that exist already because i'm not a master monster developer but mm -hmm. altering stuff that already exists i can do pretty well and something like this is fun because you don't have to reveal that their spells are featured what they are. You can just describe it through the lens of mm -hmm. the perception of the character, which I think yep. makes it so much more terrifying when you describe him swiping at you and everything around him, you begins to slow down your steps in body begin to feel sluggish and your enemy is dashing and darting around quicker than you would expect for his size or some BS like that. So much fun. Mm hmm. Plus, players hate slow and shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One action, are you nuts? <laughs> Unless you're a warlock who casts Eldritch Blast anyway. Oh, yeah. I cast Eldritch Blast. <laughs> um, anything else on this there, Ian? Nope. All right. Well, that'll do it for our monster variant, the Fane. Is that what it was? The Fane, right? The yeah, Fane. Yeah, I forgot. Um, Christian, would you like to tell us about our encounter uh, concept today? It's Vampirus. <laughs> Uh, which, which that's already sounds interesting. <laughs> so it's a uh, merchant vessel setting sail from ports in the kingdom have been disappearing before arriving at their destination. 
While this isn't completely unheard of, the number of vessels has ticked up to nearly double in recent months. As the party's investigation continues, they learn that the majority of the vessels that have gone missing all seem to be hauling slaves as their primary merchandise. Uh, once the PCs follow or join the slave trader vessel, they are attacked by vampire pirates <laughs> while at sea in complete darkness. Uh, the PCs learn that this nest of vampires avoids deadly adventures by taking out slave trader ships, uh, which uh, the adventurers are also likely to avoid. Oh, oh no, the slave trader ships are also likely to avoid uh, adventurers, which that's smart. Um, and with the collection of slaves, it allows the nest to feed for months, and the recent uptake is because of a new leader, one with a much stronger thirst. So he has ordered twice as many attacks to feed his hunger. What do you think about this, Christian? Uh, I, I, I like it. It feels very much in theme with the encounters on the Savage Seas that you guys just gave away. Yeah. Uh, it's very ghost, uh, uh, salt marshy. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it would be a good excuse to get players out on the sea and play around with those, um, those, uh, the, the sailing event, you know, mm -hmm. the sailing rules that came out last year, oh, yeah, uh, definitely. you know, cause those, those are a fantastic set of rules, but I think people, uh, a lot of players are very, um, they like to stay on land, um, uh, <laughs> and they, they don't like the thought of that wide open ocean where there's <laughs> nothing to do for weeks at a time. So this is a good way to get people out. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, and also you're saving slaves. So like, you know, all your, all your lawful good people are just going to like, just lap into this thing instantly um, <laughs> as they should. Uh, Alan Tucker on Twitch says, see, the vampires are just doing their civic duty by attacking slaver ships. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I was like, wait a second. The, the vampires are just feeding on. Oh, nope. Nope, nope, nope. Okay, I see where this is going. I guess that, that comes back to me. Like, I always look at bad guys as just good guys in need of being reformed. They're just one step away. Well, technically, so, they're just thirsty. I mean, they got to eat, right? They're predators, you know? So, yeah. unless they want to drink, like, the blood of, like, a dog, I guess. But, I mean, you got to survive. So, this may, could be a great example of enemies that aren't really evil. The reason they attack the slavers is because they feel like those people aren't going to uh, be missed and the slaves are already slaves. They're going to have a crappy life. So they're doing them a favor. I think it could or, go either way. Yeah. Or if you want to turn this into more of like a Sophie's choice sort of thing, they're eating the slavers, the slaves they're converting into oh. more vampires uh, because the, you know, the slaves are all close to death. So they're, they're actually saving them uh, from their, their fate by, uh, by turning them. That's genius, man. That really is great. I love this that. Is, this is the sort of thing that I do all the time. Yeah. That's, that's uh, what we love about Sophie's show, Choice, Matt. the D&D campaign, yeah. is basically what I run. <laughs> that's awesome. What do you think, Ian? Got anything to touch on? Can vampires even sail across the ocean? Because that whole moving water thing. Oh, I have no idea. Is that really? In, <laughs> I didn't recall that. In the Was that actually in the Monster Manual? Well, no. In the, I, I feel like it is, yes, but... Although I think it's they're immersed in moving water. Now I think yeah, about it. well, don't don't go swimming, I guess. Oh, I <laughs> hadn't really thought about that. Honestly, I can't take 100 percent credit for this. Um, there was a passing comment in uh, in Supernatural when he meets yeah. he allies himself when he allies himself <laughs> and he asks him what he did. And he he says vampires and he's like, I've never heard that before. He's like, really? That's like the first thing that came to my mind. So I can't take <laughs> I while I wrote all this and all the details, the uh, it was certainly inspired by uh, 
a, a couple lines in Supernatural, which is awesome inspiration for your D&D ventures. Ah, Vampire takes 20 acid damage if it ends its turn in running water. Well, then, and, and, as long as it doesn't end up in the water, it'll be okay. In this edition, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I think that'll do it for our encounter a concept, Vampirates. Vampirates. Our magical item of the podcast is the Star of the Astral Sea. This large sapphire pendant glows when an ally is near death allowing you to transfer your own life force to rejuvenate them this necklace has three charges and regains 1d4 expended at dawn you can use an action to expend a number of hit dice up to your constitution modifier when you do a creature with less than their maximum hit points yes uh can immediately gain the number of hit points equal to half the number rolled Plus their con mod, plus your con modifier. The creature cannot gain this benefit again until they finish a shorter long rest. Christian, what do you think? Uh, I'm. This is a good one, uh, especially for people who don't have a cleric in their party. So this this is a good way of kind of uh, balancing that out. Um, or if they have a shitty cleric in their party, um, <laughs> also you. I have so many stories. Uh, my <laughs> D&D campaigns have a proud tradition of shitty clericking. Um, none of our clerics know how to heal. It's fantastic. I love it. Um, they do other things. Like, <laughs> you know, they, they 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 don't know how to heal. It's it's amazing. I love it so much. So this is a good way to uh, if, if you are tired of dying because your healer isn't healing. This is this is an alternate way of doing it. Yeah. The mental image I had in my head of like uh, the party walking to a room, saying like huge explosion. The wizard, I'm almost down. Barbara Allison, oh, did the tiny wizard stick a fireball to the face here? <laughs> uh, I really like these. These sticks more... up my health. <laughs> I really. I like... get more. <laughs> <laughs> I really like these more um, simplistic magic items because. The DMG has a lot of cool magic items, but they're all so complex. And mm-hmm. I think that's interesting when you consider the fact that the game was designed with none in mind, um, which, by the way, for those of you who don't know, is part of the reason why the CR ratings are off when you use them, um, because they were designed with no magical items in mind. Um, I learned that. So I got thoughts about that, but that's not a topic into itself. Yeah. That you'll go on a long rant, I'm sure. Anyways, uh, I love this magic item. I hope you guys will use it. Let me know what you think. Um, I think it's, a, as Christian said, it's a great supplement for a group that doesn't have a full dedicated healer. Um, and ideally, it's for a, a group to fill in so you don't need a dedicated healer. Um, and you can still get away without giving them a short rest after every counter. Mm-hmm. So, but it does come with its penalties, right? You're only gaining half the benefit. So, uh, in case you forget, you only gain half your hit dice at, uh, after a long rest, not all of them. So it's still a resource that needs to be managed, but can help uh, in those, you know, clutch moments. So uh, that'll do it for our magic item, the Star of the Astral Sea. Uh, our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast is inciting incident. An inciting incident in a uh, is like a pebble that brings the avalanche. That moment in a play or a movie that 
if it didn't happen, the whole rest of the story would never have occurred. It's not always the, the first scene in a movie or a play, but it could be. I mean, you could make it the very first event. Sometimes that happens. Um, it's the important moment that really drives the rest of the story into high gear and, and sets the, the central conflict into motion. It's, like the scares and Huckleberry being killed. That would be a good example, I think. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. The inciting incident is hard to quantify in many levels, but it's worth trying nonetheless because understanding the nature of the inciting incident can really give the DM uh, a powerful sense of how to introduce conflicts and storylines to a regular weekly game. Although I guess the, the Star Blimp Alderaan is a very big one too. <laughs> <laughs> um, this this nice little tidbit actually came right out of the Cobalt Guide to Game Design, um, Volume One. I if you haven't picked that up, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's a wealth of knowledge. Wolfgang Bauer, Ed Greenwood, and a bunch of other really great names are inside it that help make it. So, um, what do you think about this, uh, Christian? Oh, uh, I mean, it's it's very correct. Uh, I mean, there's always going to be. You know, the, basically, you know, the inciting incident is your plot hook. Uh, it's it's what really kicks things into gear. Um, it doesn't always need to be an event um, or an active event. Like you don't it doesn't need to be a combat or something dramatic. It can be something as simple as somebody finding a worthless medallion inside a magic shop and signed to buy it. Yeah, um, like you it. know, uh, you know, so that that's the thing It's like. You know, this is how you get your players invested in your story is, you know, what I think the most important takeaway is, is the inciting instant is how players w want to come back to the table, yeah. why they want to come back to the table. That's definitely accurate. I think that um, when I was reading this, the thing that really hit home for me was, for instance, uh, I actually in the notes, I read. Uh, reference the vampires example because why did the why does the vampires encounter exist it exists because vampires are killed by adventures daily all right so they decided okay people are killing us what can we do about it that's really what started that whole thing same thing with like the lord of the rings how did that get started anybody oh, i ring <laughs> oh look at that i found something ah. yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's as simple as that but after applying this technique for a few months, I realized that I can easily form good hooks just by a single sentence of an inciting incident is what it's called in here. And uh, using that as kind of my template, I found that I have written better stories because of it. Um, and that's why I wanted to share this with you guys. I guess that's the whole point. It's from a guide to game design. So. And um, so any other uh, points on this topic that we didn't really touch on? Nope. All right. Fantastic. That'll do for our Dungeon Master tip, the inciting incident. Now, our player tip of the podcast is don't be a dick. And you can avoid dickitude by not checking every damn thing. I you guys suck. You waste my time all the time. Don't do it. It's not necessary. Sorry. I find that ironic after last Friday. <laughs> yes. Yes. There is a bit of irony for those of you who don't know. I'm going to keep that to us. Yeah. Anyways, so many players like to poke the floor with a 10 foot pole as they, you know, move through the dungeon hall and, you know, looking for traps and, you know, better safe than sorry. I'm going to I'm going to keep doing that. This cliche and, and off uh, this cliche often ignores uh, the additional risks that really they're creating 
by if you if if you you <laughs> if you got your head down and are moving at a crawl, you're really giving the enemies way more time to rally their forces and set up ambushes to surround you. Uh, <laughs> If you're, you know, too busy tinkering with the, the door for uh, several minutes, Mr. Rogue, who wants to roll 10 times, um, you, you won't uh, surprise anything lurking on the other side. More likely, they're going to have an action ready to bow drawn, a spell readied, waiting for you to open that door so they can blow your face up. But more than anything, it's boring. <laughs> it's no fun for anybody at the table, not even the DM, really. I don't want to sit there. I check for a trap. I check for a trap. I check for a trap. You'll want to use your time more profitably by checking only likely spots, I think. Um, now, does that mean if you fall into a trap, it's my fault for giving you this advice? Not really. You could just say, I check for chaps along the hall. You don't have to stop. Make sure you trip. Well, give me one check. And if you roll poopy, you're probably going to stumble into something. Um, that's just how it goes. I don't need to make you roll 20 checks. You don't need 20 checks to determine whether you didn't find one or two different traps i mean by all means do check around because i mean no you'll find like a fireball behind the door (laughs) (laughs) uh what do you think about this christian no it's uh very accurate uh the you know there every every action should have a consequence yes if you're going to take your time uh especially you know like players tend to do this on your like traditional dungeon crawls Uh, So what I like to do is, you know, you have an unofficial timer. Uh, So uh, a thing that I did not too long ago was the the group was exploring this uh, ancient dungeon where some bad guys had taken up residence in. Uh, While they still got to go through their big epic boss battle at the end, uh, another subset of those bad guys moved an entire army of like basically uh mind controlled berserkers out of this place because they took their time in the upper levels Uh, and so now that gave the bad guys uh another arrow in their quiver which they are now utilizing to great effect (laughs) Um, and so they they could have stopped that had they not taken a long rest and uh multiple short rests um in the upper levels you know had had they had some urgency and as a DM, you know, how you can counter this as a DM is by building that urgency. Um, my players are about to go into a boss encounter. They're 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 they have this basically this entire grand plan of setting up distraction to lure the bad guys forces out so they can go in. But once they go in. Their allies only have so much time that they can do this distraction so that the players can go in and do what they're going to do. And if they go in short rest after every single thing that they encounter in this tower, their friends are all going to die. I love it. <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, as a player, when you're when you're trying to do something like this, like, and it's not, we've talked about like story branching and, and causes of multiple dice rollings and stuff like that. But as the, the, the player think about just outside of the game, how not fun that is. Um, that really, to me, that's probably one of the biggest cons to doing this sort of thing. Um, what I found that I've been tinkering with, I haven't been doing it for a while, but for instance, we'll go back to the hallway example. If you want to check for uh, traps nonstop through the whole wall, give me a single roll. And depending on how big that roll is, we'll determine how many of those traps you find. 
That simple. Um, if you're the player and you're listening to this and your DM hasn't tried that, recommend that to your, your DM so you can make the game a faster, right? Because we actually want to get to the end of the campaign for those of you that don't. <laughs> and secondly, it just makes the game flow smoother. So um, just try to avoid that if you can. If your DM is throwing trap after trap after trap and you have to do that, maybe consider uh, the approach I just mentioned or an alternate approach to dealing with that because honestly, it's not fun, uh, at least in my opinion. Do you have fun with something like that, Christian? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, I, I tend to avoid, due to the fact that uh, there's almost o- only so much time in the day, uh, you know, other than the occasional, like, more set piece type trap where it's a trap that needs to be disabled that just it's not like a pit trap or something like that you know my players all like half them know how to fly at this point (laughs) so you know like the the mundane traps kind of got old fast so like i i like to if i'm going to throw traps at my players they're going to be traps that they can't avoid by checking for traps ah i like that all right Mm. i'll do that All right. Well, I think that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't Don't be a dick. And you can avoid dickitude by, I forgot the name of the tip already. Let's scroll back up. Don't check everything. (laughs) I get a little bitter about that because sometimes it happens and and drives me bonkers. So that'll do it for our show today. We'll be closing uh, for our closing. Please join us next week. We will be discussing the flow of combat with the popular D&D YouTuber Zipper on Disney. I'm really excited. We actually stumbled across him at the the Akatacon convention by total happenstance. He's yep. the one that actually destroyed you in that competition. Um, so I'm really Wait, excited for that. The that that question thing oh you got yeah, yeah. i thought i had hard questions and the damn guy went first and answered them so quick i'm like man they were too easy and then i just realized <laughs> he's a DD youtuber and knows all the shit because he spends time making videos about it. i was like i feel like that's kind of cheating <laughs> anyways if you have any feedback on our tips and tricks or topics you'd like us to discuss please send them to us you can email us at critic at gmail.com or find us on twitter facebook and now instagram at critic academy we hope you enjoyed your experience here at critic academy if you did you can help others find the show by hopefully leaving a five-star review on your platform of choice, like iTunes, or just send us a message telling us how much you enjoy the show. We like feedback. Yes. Also, be give us a like and a share. Once again, Christian, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Seahoffer, Seabus, and uh, at comicbook.com. Yes, check his stuff out. It's fantastic. He just recently wrote a really great and glowing review of our fantastic terrain. So check that shit out, too, while you're at it. We just hit silver, so um, do that. It was quick. Like right now, like even before we sign off. Uh, (laughs) Make sure to subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com. Follow us on Twitch.tv slash CritAcademy. And subscribe on YouTube and Facebook and all that jazz. You know where to find us now. At this point, we're 152, 53 episodes in. I think you figured it out. Um, And head over to our website and subscribe so you can be under to win cool and new prizes every single week. We give away fat loots. We make it rain on you. We do. <laughs> make sure to also check out our fellowship members as well. Huge shout out to uh, Interparty Conflict. Gabe and Jeff do an awesome job answering your questions each and every single week. Check out uh, Brute Force and Ignorance, an actual play podcast. And also follow The Kind GM on Twitter. Guy's awesome. Fantastic. And follow Jeff Stevens if you're not. And, Gre- and Gregerson. They're really good stuff too. Anyway, I am your host, Justin. And I am your guest, Christian. 
and I'm your co-host Ian. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Heroes.